lesson. So <laughs> now that Pastor Kerr is finished talking, the rest of us can. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 6. We will continue in our study of Romans. And while you turn there, I'll just briefly uh, recap uh, some of the things we've talked about the last two weeks. So we split chapter 5 into two weeks. And then the first week we talked about um, particularly how the love of God is displayed through the cross of Christ. Um, and that, that, that beautiful line, but God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the second half um, described how it is that uh, individual people can have their collective future determined um, by this act on the cross. Um, and in explaining that, as we saw last week, um, Paul talked about uh, two heads of humanity. Our first head, um, Adam, and how through his act, sin and death uh, came into the world. Um, and, and use that as a comparison um, to set up how, though therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Um, and then this, this glorious final line, um, verse 21 of chapter 5, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So as we come to chapter 6, chapter 6 um, represents a transition um, Paul's going to start moving away from talking as much about justification and, and going to be speaking more about sanctification. But um, as we'll see, the two are intimately connected. Um, and, and chapter 6 is actually structured in, in a kind of strange way, um, people misapplying or misusing the idea of justification by faith um, as a... Um, opportunity for sin, and, and Paul's going to, to use that, that moment of a misuse or misapplication of the truth of justification to talk about um, the life-empowering sanctification that um, union with Christ brings. Um, before I read chapter 6 for us, uh, let me open us in prayer. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do thank you uh, for your sovereign work on the cross, and that um, uh, through the work of Christ that we have um, this uh, certain future of eternal life um, by virtue of our union with Christ, affected by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we uh, thank you for um, how you have uh, given us new life and given us uh, a a relationship with you, or as the, the hymnist uh, sings, given us an interest in Christ's blood. And we thank you for um, his acts on the cross and how those not only secure us eternal life uh, in the future, but um, give us the possibility of, of righteousness in this life. And indeed, even more than possibility, uh, gives us the power um, to live uh, holy lives uh, in obedience and in service to you. Lord God, we do pray that um, you would to um, escape uh, our old self, the self that was crucified uh, on the cross with Christ, um, and put on a, a new life of obedience uh, to him by your Spirit. Lord, we do uh, thank you for the words of Paul, um, uh, your words through him. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, the same spirit that gave Paul these words is the same spirit that um, teaches us uh, this morning. So we do pray for the presence of your spirit to guide us into all truth concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and I've got one. My first question is kind of a big question that 
um, covers the whole of the chapter. Um, but because the chapter is kind of like split on these two questions, we might only get through the first half. I'm kind of prepared for the whole thing, but also prepared if we want to go more slowly to, um, to, to deal with each of these sections in turn. But um, as I say, I'll read the entirety of the chapter. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not, therefore, sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, have, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit um, were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we uh, speak of it uh, together this morning. All right, so... Um, this chapter uh, is very clearly structured around two questions, um, both of which Paul gives the emphatic answer, no, <laughs> or by no means, or uh, no way, uh, however you want to paraphrase it, translate it, it it's an, an emphatic no. Um, so what is, uh, what, what's Paul um, so strenuously objecting to in these two questions? What's the attitude conveyed by these questions? And what makes them so antithetical to Paul's conception, justification by faith through the grace of Jesus Christ? Yeah, Rob. Okay, so, so in one sense... Um, and maybe not uh, objections, but uh, yeah, like 
Well, yeah, objections in the sense that, well, you can't have this doctrine of grace, because if you have this doctrine of grace, then um, it's to, <laughs> it's gonna lead to anti it's gonna lead to licentiousness. Um, it's kind of the idea like, um, like, you know, in education circles, like if you get rid of grades, people will stop doing the work. And it's that kind of idea that, well, no, if, and we'll see, as Paul says, if the grace has really taken effect, the, the, the person will have a different attitude toward obedience. Um, they're not doing it just because they're being watched. They're doing it because um, their heart has been, been changed. Uh, good. What else might we say about the attitude conveyed by these two questions? So, as Rob says, um, it's these um, uh, uh, objections um, to uh, the, the gospel as he's presented it. What else might we say about the attitude conveyed by why Why separate them? Is something being different uh, implied by, by each question? Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, as, as we look at the two questions, like, you know, the first one is, is saying, you've been set free from sin. Like, you know, it, it's not, it, it doesn't have dominion over you anymore. So to have the attitude, less sin, so grace can abound. This is actually the, um, uh, the um, Russian monk Rasputin. This was actually his theology, like, I can go out and sin more and more and more because the more I sin, it gives me more opportunities to repent and grace can abound. And, and that is the complete, you know, uh, that, that's what Paul's like pulling his hair out. No, <laughs> you've been freed from that. Like, you know, sin doesn't have any dominion over you. Um, but then the flip side of, the, of that with the second question is that doesn't mean we're now, because we're free from sin, we're, we've become autonomous um, human beings. No, because sin doesn't have lordship over you anymore, but God does. <laughs> You've switched your, your masters, and that's why he has this, um, this um, analogy that he apologizes for in a little, uh, or in, in one place, um, that, that you're slaves. Like, and, and he's using slavery here because slavery is that kind of total obedience to one's master. And so just because we're no longer enslaved to sin doesn't mean we're now in a masterless position. So as you think of the, what's the flip from one question to the other, it's kind of like two different forms of, of antinomianism or licentiousness. Um, this first one, it has this, this wrong idea that um, because we're, we're under grace, uh, you know, we can go do whatever we want, <laughs> um, that, that we should keep sinning more and more so grace can abound, kind of like reflecting on um, the end of, of chapter five. Well, if, if you know, grace abounds um, because of, of um, you know, because the law came to increase the trespass, then let's sin a lot. And he's like, no. <laughs> And then the second one, well, if we've been set free, that means we can do whatever we want. No. <laughs> Good. What else might we say about the two structuring questions as a whole before we dig into to them individually? Are these, you know, um, Rob framed them as objections. Are, are these attitudes that, or, or, or objections that you encountered and, and talking to people?
Yeah, and that's why this is, makes such a great um, transition into what Paul wants to say about sanctification. He really wants to talk about newness of life, um, that, that the gospel, that grace brings new life. It, it doesn't just bring eternal life. It brings a, a regeneration, a new life in the present that, that puts the Christian in a fundamentally different relationship to sin than the way that Christian uh, was when they were simply in Adam. Um, it's this change of heads from being in Adam to being in Christ produces a real change, and that changes how the presence of sin um, uh, exists in our lives. Um, Yeah, that we're not doing the law, performing laws, works of the law from slavish obedience to the law, but we're doing it in response to the gracious gift um, of the gospel. And, and, and in many ways, verse 23 is, is the, you know, the culminating point of this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's our obedience is coming in response to the free gift of God. Um, it's, it's not coming, as we saw um, in terms of uh, talking about um, last week. Um, you know, Adam, it's, it's wages, it's equivalent. Um, the, the, what, what Adam earned is condemnation. Um, but the free gift, as Paul said, is not like the trespass. Um, and we saw that superabounding grace that produces real internal change in us, that works itself out, as we'll see in this chapter, should work itself out in a, a response of obedience in faith. Good, anything else we wanna say about the big picture before we dig into the first one? Okay, so as we think about uh, this chapter, um, the first part of it uh, re is really focused on our union to Christ, and he started off um, speaking about our union in Christ's burial and death. So what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean that we, you know, and it, he's like assuming, you know, we have this, this knowledge. Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Jesus Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. Um, so what does it mean that we're united to the burial and death of Christ? Yeah, Dave. So, yeah, so again, it's, it's going back to this, this principle he established in chapter 5. Like, again, it's how these two chapters really do kind of flow from one another. So he's just said in, in chapter, chapter 5 that Christ came to, to do away with, with, with sin and death. Sin and death entered the world through Adam. And we kind of describe this as, you know, through, through one man's act, like, and it, and it could be like, as, as Brian used the example, like the drunk guy in the car accident, you know, like one momentary stupid act has done a tremendous amount of damage that it that takes super work to undo. Um, or, or my analogy was like, if I put salt 
when I wasn't supposed to put salt into the flour, I, I guess I could theoretically like go grain by grain and remove the salt, but like the one instantaneous stupid act takes enormous power <laughs> to, to undo. Um, and so that there is a real power in, in the death of Christ, that his death, um, as, as we see, and, and John picks this up in Revelation, his death leads to the end of death. Like when we get to Revelation, you know, after the final re resurrection, death itself is done away with, um, John tells us. Um, his, his death is doing away with the presence of sin. Like it, you know, it, it is this um, historical redemptive moment that, you know, this new era is being unleashed um, to the point where we'll get to the, you know, in our perfected transformed bodies, we will no longer be able to sin. Um, and it's because of our union with Christ in his death um, that we experience the death of death and the death of sin. Good. What else to say it means to be buried with Christ? Yeah, Bill. Yeah, it's our identification in Christ. And that's how he's using baptism here. He's kind of using baptism as the shorthand for, you know, the entirety of, you know, what it means to be a Christian. Like, baptized becomes, like, you know, the shorthand. Like, you, who have the outer mark of initiation into the body of Christ, like, you know, you, you've been baptized... Um, don't you know you've been baptized into his death? Um, and into that death is what enables you to, to have this, this newness of life. Um, um, as he talks about in the passage that Bill just read. Like, um, burial with Christ is a description of the participation of the believer in Christ's own burial. Um, a participation that you know he's presenting as um, mediated through our baptism. Like, you know, you've been buried with him. Why, uh, <laughs> why do you think that you can uh, have a different um, or, or continue in your old life anymore? Um, you, you know, something decidedly different has, has happened. Like, that you can't go back to the old ways. It's like, the dog, you can't go like a dog after the old vomit. <laughs> you know, you've been changed um, uh, by being a participant in Christ's death.
Um, so, I mean, a couple of things. So, one, we, we remember, like, the, the pain that, that Christ is suffering in his death is the pain for the punishment of, of, of sin and, and paying the penalty that we deserve. So, in that sense, we, we are freed from, from that pain, um, the eternal uh, death that our sin deserves. Um, and and we, we get that as free gift. But as Paul said in chapter 5, um, being united with Christ means su suffering is going to be involved. Like, so it's not we're, we're initiated into a pain-free existence. Um, to be united with Christ, to identify with him, is going to lead to sufferings. And it's actually this, this new life and enables us to rejoice in those sufferings um, as, you know, if it's, if we're suffering as a result in, in life of, of paying the, the earthly penalty for sin, then we rejoice in that you know, sin is being excised from us by experiencing that, that punishment. Um, what he's getting to here, though, I think, is the idea, like, this is one of the, you've probably all heard the phrase that in, in Paul, you know, the indicative leads to the imperative. Like Paul presents the theology, the, the indicative, the truth, the statement of fact. And then that leads to imperative, do something. And, and that's the pattern we have in this chapter. So he's giving us this description of our um, union with Christ in his death, the imperatives, what that means. Christ died, you know, um, died this death, he, you know, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So it, the first part is all about what Christ did. And then the second part, um, the imperative, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal, bod mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So he's starting with the truth of, of what Christ's death means, his, his, his burial um, and our union in his burial to create the imperatives to how that theological truth should ref be reflected in changed lives here and now. Um, I like the way Calvin um, says this, and this is actually from um, his Institutes, um, the section when he's talking about the benefits of baptism. Um, Calvin, another benefit of baptism is that it shows us our mortification in Christ and new life in him. Know ye not, says the apostle, that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that we should walk in newness of life. By these words, he not only exhorts us to imitation of Christ, as if he had said that we are admonished by baptism in like manner as Christ died, to die to our lust, and as he rose, to rise to righteousness. But he traces the matter much higher, that Christ by baptism has made us partakers of his death, engrafting us into it. And as the twig derives substance and nourishment from the root to which it is attached, though, so those who receive baptism with true faith truly feel the efficacy of Christ's death and the mortification of their flesh and the efficacy of his resurrection and the quickening of the spirit. On, on this, he founds his exhortation that if we are Christians, we should be dead unto sin and alive unto righteousness. So it's this idea, um, to, to go back to your question, John, it's this idea that, that because of our connection and union with Christ's death, our work is to be putting sin to death in our mortal lives. Um, and it's the, um, the idea, I like the way um, Tim Keller was the first person who I heard this from, and then I found it like in multiple places this past week, so it's... It's a more common idea, but I'll give Keller credit since he's the first one I heard it from. But the idea of, of like having um, the dominion of sin being defeated is like 
you know, think if, if you're a populace ruled by some oppressive enemy that has completely um, dominated and controlled your lives, like, you know, think Big Brother from 1984 or something like that. Um, so you're under the reign, the dominion of this oppressive enemy. And then an outside conqueror comes in and, and drives that enemy out of power. It's freed you from that enemy. Um, and not only that, has, has equipped you with, um, as Paul uses this analogy uh, elsewhere, you know, with the full armor of God. Like, so, you know, the, the enemy has been driven out of power. You've been equipped with the full armor of God, but the enemy has, like, kind of isn't done away with. And Paul doesn't say here, sin died. Sin's not destroyed. Like, we died to sin. Sin didn't die to us. It's still an active power, but it's not the controlling power. It's not the reigning power. Um, you, we have a different Lord now. Um, and that Lord has equipped us with, with weapons in which we can fight against sin in this mortal life. Rob, I, thought, I saw your hand. <laughs> That's what happens when I yammer on too long. Um, actually did that to one of my students in class this week. Never mind. <laughs> it happens a lot. Um, I, I say I don't like to hear myself talk, but we all know it's not the truth. So, um, but again, it's this idea that the, the purpose of our, it's the purpose of our burial with Christ that we might walk in newness of life, that, that um, the believer is in this life already benefiting from the power and influence of Christ's resurrection. Like, again, the now and not yet. We look forward to that final resurrection. We look forward to that eternal life. But we, we have access to the life-giving power of Christ's death and resurrection in this life. Um, and that's what Paul is, is trying to get to here. Um, so how does, uh, to lead to my next question, so how does our dying with Christ equip us to, to live uh, holy lives um, in, in this still sinful world? So sin's still around, still present. Um, so how are we, by our union with Christ, equipped to deal with sin? Yeah, run. Yeah, again, it's a regime change has taken place. So don't act like the old regime <laughs> is, is still in place. Like um, uh, the uh, Augustine and then medieval theologians after him um, would talk about sin as habitus. Um, and you can hear in that Latin word, habit. Um, and it's that idea that in our lives, we've become habituated to the presence of sin. Like, we've gotten used to it. We, we've grown accustomed to it. Um, and, and what the, the gospel does is it, it brings in a power now to, to see what we once, you know, once, you know, either enjoyed <laughs> or, you know, at, you know, we, we enjoyed being in that sin, or we are simply ignoring the fact that it was sin. But, you know, what the gospel does is it, it brings sin to light, and we can't stand its presence 
anymore. Like our old actions that we now see them for what they really are. You know, they, they were shameful things. Um, and, and now, you know, we've been enabled to, to see the, the things that we once gloried in, as Paul said earlier in this book, we now see as, as shameful because of, you know, our participation in Christ's death. Like, you know, that, that act, being in him and, and receiving his spirit, has opened our eyes to see things that we didn't consider um, as uh, shameful. Now we see them for what they are. Um, so let me give you an example of a, a bad habit. <laughs> um, and, and how, so when I was in eighth grade, I broke my leg in the uh, eighth grade all-star football game. Um, and before you're too impressed, all eighth graders made the all-star team. Um, uh, so, um, so most of my eighth grade year, I had a cast on my leg that, that you know, literally covered the entirety of my right leg. And because of that, I got to prop my foot up. So at first, you know, because I couldn't sit in a school desk with, <laughs> like, with this big, giant, three-foot-long cast uh, on my leg. So I got to prop my foot up. Um, and then because I, you know, even when the cast came off, um, my, when the cast uh, came off, my, um, uh, my ankle, for some reason, the cast had, had made my ankle, like, stick out. And I literally couldn't bend my foot back. So, so even though the cast came off after six, eight weeks, something like that, um, I still, like, couldn't bend my knee or ankle. So basically for my entire eighth grade year, I got to put my feet up. <laughs> and, and that created a really bad habit of, of putting my feet up <laughs> in lots of places and times that I should not be putting my feet up. Um, and when I was in seminary, um, Dr. Long, uh, who had been a missionary um, uh, in Africa, um, oh, good grief, I'm blanking on, on where he was. Um, he, he basically caught the last plane out of Africa during a, a civil war. Um, and then from there, he went to be a, a missionary in Brazil. So um, he was a retired missionary who taught missions at the seminary. And he came in one day, and I, I'm in the lounge, and of course I've got my feet propped up. And uh, he calls me into his office, and he's like, do you know how, how incredibly rude it is to show the soles of your feet to people? And like, literally, like, and I, after that moment, like, I couldn't look at putting my feet up the same way. I still have the bad habit, unfortunately. Mainly, though, I exercise it in my own home <laughs> when no one else is around. Um, uh, but it's that idea, like, you need um, this, this changed relationship to, to take things you used to do to see them in a new light. And that, by our union with Christ, that's part of what, what's being done. Like, it, you know, it's, the power's been broken, like, and power has been given. And so why are you going to continue to live in the old habit when a new model um, has been put before you, the model of, of Christ, um, who we're called to imitate in our union with him here. Another example of this, like living an old life uh, um, contrary to current realities, my parents um, uh, lived in Alaska when they were first married. My dad was stationed in the Army, and, uh, um, and so he was stationed in Anchorage. And there was this woman, and, and they have the scrapbook. So this is how I found out the story, the scrapbook of their time in, in Anchorage. And there's this woman who would go around basically uh, getting food out of the garbage cans, and um, you know, you know, everybody assumed that this was just this poor homeless woman you know, wandering the streets of Anchorage. Well, there's the newspaper clipping um, of her death. Um, in my parents' scrapbook. Turns out she was a multimillionaire. And, but she was living <laughs> as basically a homeless person. 
Like, and that's that idea, like, you're a multimillionaire. Like, <laughs> why are you going to continue to live as if you had nothing when, you know, you, you, God has given you this grace and power to live differently now? Yeah, that, you know, and, and this is what this, this chapter is about, newness of life, sanctification. And, and Paul's saying the justification that God has done, that forensic act, like, has internal, external effects in our lives now. It's not because our positionality has changed. You know, we're no longer in Adam. We're now in Christ. That leads to change in this life. We're no longer um, living a life with, a, with you know, um, performing acts that lead, shameful acts that lead to death. We're now, through our union with Christ, empowered to lead a life with acts that lead to sanctification, to, to increasing holiness in our life. Um, and it's, it's this empowerment that comes from our, our union with him. Um, that, that life-giving spirit, the same life-giving spirit that brought Jesus again from the dead is the life-giving spirit that enables us to put sin to death in this life. I think the fruit of the spirit, yeah, like fruit of the spirit, full armor of God, these are all the kinds of other ways that Paul talks about Right, he's, he's getting there. Like, so again, like this is the beginning of a section on sanctification. When we get to chapter eight, <laughs> you know, we're getting to the empowerment of, of the spirit. But here he's starting with union with Christ. Um, and that's his focus here, that as a result of our union with Christ, we have freedom from sin now. Um, we don't have to wait for some, you know, eternal life in the future, we're equipped with power now to be putting sin to death in our current lives. Just as Christ died to sin, he's equipped us to put sin to death.
Absolutely, and the the Exodus is a great picture, I think, of of what Paul's getting at here. They they've been freed from the dominion of Pharaoh. Um, like you know, four hundred years of slavery has come to an end, and and yet they get out of Egypt, and they still have the mindset of slaves. Like, didn't in Egypt we have we were given food all the time. We we had whatever we wanted, anytime we wanted it. Like, it's like they, and that's part of what Paul is is getting at here, is we have to, you know, continually look at the cross of Christ, because when we turn away, when we forget that, um, then our temptation is to to, you know, again slide back into the old habits, to slide back into this mindset of, of slavery, even though we've been freed from it. And, and this often happens, like when you study the history of, of peoples who had been enslaved, who are, are, are subsequently freed, like they can't get used to the new life. Like, like you know, their whole life has been spent under the history of someone else. And, and now they, their freedom, like they've been conditioned to think that way. And, and that's what Paul, I think, is saying here about being conditioned to think of sin either as something good um, or something indifferent um, and, and, and or, eh, you know, it's not really sin. Who did it really hurt? Like there are all kinds of ways we're we're really good at finding excuses uh, for our sinfulness, um, and and he's saying why, you know, because of the reality of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, those sins are are united to him in that cross. Like why are you going to persist in those things? And you, you know. As you're looking at the cross and keep thinking about, my sin caused his pain. Um, again, lots of hymns on the lines are coming. <laughs> you know, it's my sins that nailed him to the tree. Like, it's that idea. Like you, and, and with the Exodus, that's why throughout the Old Testament, remember, <laughs> remember, remember. Like, you know, Joshua uh, I, I love in Joshua, they're like, they're building memorials all over the place. Put a pile of rocks here. <laughs> put a pile, put an altar up on that mountain. Um, you know, because, you know, when you see those things, you're supposed to see those visible signs and remember the delivering work of God on your behalf. You're to look at your baptism and see the visible sign marking your union with Christ and how can you live like as if that union didn't take place? How could you live as if he hadn't died um, to deliver you from sin and death? Yeah, it's um, my uh, friend and, and campus intern. Um, he uh, he once used the illustration of like um, our life is is like one continual game of whack a mole. <laughs> so if you ever played the game, like the mole packs up, you got to whack it, and it pops up over here, and, and it's like you have to constantly, um, you know, 
it, it's a constant process of, of mortifying sin, putting sin to, to death, as the Puritans talked about it. Um, and, and with that, like, I, I, I use this, uh, and I've used this illustration before, so forgive me, but it's the idea, like, you know, the more the grace of God shines in your life, the more you see the filth of sin in your life. Like, and, and you know, it, it's that idea. Like, when that light shines in there, like, you know, if I vacuum my house in the dark, <laughs> then turn on, you know, a lamplight, uh, I vacuum again, and then the sunlight comes in, and I see more, like the, you know, and then I go get my LED spotlight, and like, <laughs> uh, and then I get a microscope, like, you know, the more light that, that um, that's shed uh, on your life, the more of your sin and sinfulness you see, and the, the more that should turn you back to the cross of Christ, like, again, it's, as Paul's going to be saying, it's, we're, this isn't a battle that we're fighting. Our sanctification is, is rooted in the work of Christ. Like our union with Christ is the, the mechanism for which um, righteousness flows into our lives. Um, so it's, it's not he's freed us and now go on your own. No, as he says, like he's freed us from sin, but he's made us. Uh, slaves to righteousness, uh, slaves to obedience. Like we have a new master, and he's presenting humanity is just like he did in, in chapter five. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Like that's it. Like one or the other. In Adam, death. In Christ, life. Here, you've got two masters. Slavery or sin is your lord. And the end, the fruit of that is death. Or Christ is your Lord. Um, and the Lordship of Christ brings life. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's telling us that our actions should reflect the changes that God is, is working in us. No, that, you're putting it beautifully. Yeah, that it's the it's sanctification proceeds on the same basis as justification. It's coming as gifts. It's coming through the work of God's grace. Um, and and sanctification 
just like justification is rooted in the cross, like the penalty phase <laughs> is, is of our sin is done away with the cross, the guilt of our sin, the penalty our sin deserves, the cross takes all that away, but it does more than that. Um, you know, Paul is saying it's, it's not just that we've been justified, it's we've also been sanctified by that same power working in, in Christ. And because of our union with Christ, like we have this free gift that produces in us the fruits of, of eternal life. Like, you know, his grace, his gift is working in us to change us. And you're absolutely right. Like our default is to, to you know, try to fix it myself. Like that's, that's my fundamental response to anything is, <laughs> uh, let me fix it. Kids have a problem, let me fix it. <laughs> um, having trouble with paper, let me fix it. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's like personally, like that's my attitude. And they, Paul is, is pushing us to this, this trust um, and to, 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 to remember the cross of Christ and the power it brings, to look to him. Like I, I think we do have this habit sometimes to keep focusing on the, the sin itself um, and, and what the, the sins, you know, why do I keep doing this over and over again? Meanwhile, the weapons that, that God has given us to combat that sin are sitting over in the corner, like, you know, gathering dust. Um, and it is that, that idea, like, put on the full armor of God. Um, and the full armor of God isn't focused on the sin. It's focused on the, the gracious things that God has given us by his spirit. All right, so my prediction came true. We only really got through the first half. <laughs> I kind of expected that would happen. Um, so, but we'll pick up again in chapter six next week. So, and, and the idea here again between the two things, um, you know, the first half of the chapter, we've been freed from the power of sin, um, but we're not, the second half, we're not autonomous. Um, we are freed to serve our new master, um, God. So let me pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your work on the cross, how um, by your death on the cross you made us holy um, in the Father's sight, and uh, we can never be more holy than, than the way you already see us. But we uh, thank you also that you have given us weapons um, and given us the power by our union with Christ and his death and resurrection uh, to be free from sin in this life and to fight against it. And we ask that you would help us uh, to remember you and to remember your commands, uh, to remember the weapons that you've given us so that we can um, be combating the sin in our lives um, as a result of the, the faith and the grace you've given us, um, that we uh, do so out of um, this desire to, um, to give you thanks uh, for the, the gift you've given us and to see things the way that you see them, that things that we once gloried in, we now see uh, shameful because we see them through the new eyes that you've given us. Lord, help us uh, to, to repent of sin, but even more, help us to glory in the forgiveness of sin that we receive through Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.